Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. What Will Be Here, Episode 5, Vector Transfer. Content warnings for this episode include swearing and small explosions. See the show notes for more details and a link to the transcript. There's this, um, <clears throat> this ancient proverb that I once heard, um, some, uh, some wise words from 200 years ago used to inspire people and make us uh, reconsider our wasteful ways, because 200 some odd years ago, the majority of people actually thought the world's environmental decline was of a sort that could be remedied by decreasing the carbon footprints of singular households. So, they would just utter these words, some as a chant, some as a song, to remind themselves that every individual had the power to set the earth back on the right path. What is this omnipotent proverb, you may ask? Well, listener, I will tell you. The ancient text was scribed as follows. Reduce... Reuse and recycle. And though those words have been lost to time, the sentiment is very obviously still going strong, seeing as those are the pillars upon which our current society was built. Savannah greatly reduces the population fairly consistently, which makes up for overpopulation and threats to the Savannah Empire. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me, family. They reuse the whole of Miami by rebuilding the upper crust of society directly on top of the underground, which is, as you may know, already the third or fourth floor of Miami. And they recycle plenty. There's a reason why we always have closed casket funerals now. Because Savannah is committed to recycling the salvageable bits of our loved ones to give to rich people we don't even know regardless of whether or not consent was given. So, well, yes, Savannah is almost single-handedly responsible for destroying the ecosystems of the entire planet. You have to admit, their commitment to the principles of environmentalism is impressive. Savannah isn't exactly the best role model for helping the planet, of course, but they're so bad at it that it kind of feels like doing the bare minimum is doing a lot. Especially when you think about some institutions in place topside. The Savannah-issued reusable water bottle, Aqua Vest, for instance. Jules really thinks she's saving the planet every time she uses that thing. 
Granted, all their Savannah brand containers for liquids are both impossible and illegal to refill, so I understand why she falls for it. I'm glad it makes her feel good, but everyone in the underground just uses regular reusable cups all of the time. Those Savannah bottles are virtually indestructible. I know. I've checked. But the titanium also allegedly slowly disintegrates over time, so you're supposed to buy a new one every six months or you'll get lung cancer from excessive titanium dioxide poisoning. <laughs> now, <clears throat> based on the evidence presented, clearly, sensibly, going green is very important to a lot of us. It's one of the few things that both people topside and in the underground have in common, even if it's totally useless at this point. I am no exception. Every day I come into our HQ, I, I look at our beautiful, bouncing, baby rocket child, and I think, oh, sweet child of mine, how can I make you yet more efficient? How can we achieve our goal while also never abandoning our duty of doing totally random, pointless shit so it seems like we still care about this dead rock? We're doing a pretty decent job already. Almost all of our materials are scavenged, after all, so we're constantly recycling and reusing. But, you know, it's mostly Shuri putting in the actual work, and I don't want to put the weight of saving the world to fall solely on her shoulders. If only there was something that I, the lowly mechanic, could personally do. And then, one day, it hit me. I got to HQ and was having a hard time taking off my respirator, and that made me think, wow, we already can't breathe the air outside. What if we could clean the atmosphere somehow? We can't. That was just a thought I entertained for a millisecond. But more importantly, how could we keep this rocket from making the air more impossible to breathe? All the exhaust from this launch would be majorly dangerous to inhale for anyone that comes into direct contact with it. So something has to be done. If only there was a system in place. A system that I was intensely familiar with. A system that was also connected to a headquarters that, frankly, probably needs to be destroyed in order to avoid leaving any evidence behind. If only. But that's besides the point. What I'm really getting into here is that we all have to play a part to pretend to save the Earth. Even you, Jules. And I've taken it upon myself to decide for you exactly which part of your car I'm stealing. <laughs> the part is the steering wheel. It has Sacha's brain in it, and I think we can learn a lot from her. And I had to dismantle the entire car to get her out of there for the well-being of the rocket. And on a greater scale, the well-being of our planet. And scene. Aliens, be honest. Did that sound convincing? I've been working on that speech all day. I have 
no idea when Jules is going to try to leave, and I need it to practice. <laughs> Gout knows when she'll be coming down here and see her car in pieces, but I'm going to be ready to plead my case. I promise Jules I'm going to look into this vehicle, and what I find will be groundbreaking for us. I mean, already, just in this steering wheel, there's so much information. There's a... There's... Wait, what was that? Oh. What was... Oh! Hi there! Aw, did the explosion startle you out of the vents? Did you cause the explosion? Kitty. Alright, taking that as a note. <clears throat> Weird. Usually it's me causing explosions like that. I don't hear anyone screaming, so it's probably fine. Yeah, glad you agree! Oh, um, aliens. Uh, this is Felis Catus, a small, fluffy carnivore that is absolutely adorable, and this one's been living in the vents. I think we're kindred spirits. Maybe I'll have a shop cat soon. Maybe I can train him to start explosions for me. Hmm. A feline apprentice. What do you think about that? We'll, we'll work on it. <clears throat> Hi! I come bearing good news. We have rocket fuel. Uh, well, sort of. I have the main components to make rocket fuel. Armani managed to pick up some liquid oxygen and kerosene, and I just need to figure out the right combination. I haven't quite gotten it right, which has led to... Um, a few small explosions, but... It's fine. They were contained. The formula's almost there. I just have to keep working at it. Just like everything else down here. <sighs> ever since the underground... Well, ever since we got raided, things have been pretty quiet here. Everyone was too scared to do much of anything. The people here... There was so much hurt and... and unease. Ari would call it a black cloud looming over our heads. Everyone handled it a bit differently. After the raid, Shuri would disappear into the underground for hours at a time. I'm not quite sure where she went, but she always seemed a little less tired when she returned. Kate... Well, A were setting stuff on fire a lot more than usual. Armani shut down completely. Normally, they're always chattering on about something cool, but I didn't hear a peep from them. Dane. He went into his lab and locked the door, and... Well, things really ground to a halt out there. No one made progress on much of anything. We didn't really feel like working. I guess it's hard to see the point in it when there's so much doom and gloom hanging over our heads. But we needed to keep going. We've got a deadline we can't afford to miss. I went to go see him once or twice. He looked tired. I hated seeing him like that, like he didn't have that spark anymore. Savannah had finally stomped it out of him. But he's back now, and the lab is in full swing. Kay's not hiding in the vents. Armani's talking again. Even Shuri seems to be in a good mood. We're building things. Kay is building things. I'm gonna try not to worry about that. It doesn't really do much good to worry about it, I think. 
I'm going to try to find the comfort in the sounds of machinery, and what I hope isn't my car. After such a long time of feeling nothing but doom, it means that we're that much closer to completing our goal. If I sit there and wallow in all that hatred, I'd never get out. So, I look for hope in the little things. In the way Shuri started asking if I want tea, or in the extra food Armani brings, just in case one of us forgets to eat, or in the way Dane smiles when he thinks no one's looking. In these small moments, I can't help but feel grateful for everything my friends have done for me. We're working so hard, and I can't wait to see us finish this, together. I- Kay, I still need to be able to drive that! The idea of the spirit world is an interesting one. Culturally speaking, almost everyone has one, be it a hall of judgment or a bottomless pit. The thing is, not all spirit worlds are afterlives. Sometimes they are just places that sit alongside the world, a thin metaphorical veil separating them. Water is often related to spirituality. It's seen as a means of purification or divinity, sometimes even a portal. Mythologically speaking, the primordial oceans are the starting point of all creation. Many beings and landforms either emerged or were pulled from the sea. The vastness of the sea and the emptiness of space are very similar. Extensive and never-ending, constantly evolving, so potentially undiscovered. Anything could be out there. Space is full of endless possibilities. It's a place where stars are created as they die. Every cloud of space dust, every black hole, every asteroid, every comet and meteor, it wasn't a place chosen by design. It was a free-floating game of chance. Pieces just smashed together and then BAM! A brand new, fascinating design. Soon to be placed on a very stylish throw blanket. Naturally, my design will be much more meticulous. More aerodynamic. It will have to be sleek, with enough engines to propel it forward without looking too gaudy or being too heavy. I am an artist, a poet, a master craftsman, if you will. Each detail, from the bolts and welds to the overall shape of the frame, must be perfection. Some may call me nitpicky, but the truth of the matter is, an artist's touch is careful and concise. But I swear to the gods, if Kay keeps adding shit that isn't on my blueprints... Ugh, never mind. <clears throat> Stars are also associated with creativity. Normally they're one of the first things that are created in Mythos. Many people look up to them for guidance, wonder, and inspiration. I was the same growing up. When I was younger, I used to sneak away and find a clear spot to stare at the stars. I'd make my own patterns and constellations. I'd name random stars, forget where they were, and then rename them later on. I wanted to touch the stars, to see how bright they were up close. I wanted to be a part of NASA, but when that got disbanded I felt lost. My stars were spiralling out of control and I couldn't reach them anymore. But I never stopped designing. 
I never stopped dreaming of the message I could trace there in the stars, the legacy I could leave. My soul comes from better worlds and I have an incurable homesickness of the stars. Quote by Nikos Kosansakis, Greek writer. There are countless sayings and quotes about people being made of stars and returning home to the universe, but this one is my favourite. An incurable homesickness and insatiable need. The never-ending climb to the final frontier. Stars hold stories that are written across space and time, and I can't wait to sign my name. To put my work, my stories, my ship, my design, into the universe for all eternity, for both gods and men. Let's make this story a good one, yeah? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's, uh, it's been a while since I did one of these. Um, yeah, I'm still alive, obviously, since I'm talking to you. Or, not so obviously, considering Savannah Viper just launched their new vocal synthesis program the other day. You want to talk about terrifying? You might as well just start there. With just one hour of speech, they can completely duplicate your voice now. Make you say anything they want you to say. Yeah, you were at that meeting. No. You never paid your bill. Yes, I plan to light that fire. (sighs) But that's why we're here, I guess. It's why I'm here. To get a record of our lives out before our own stories are buried in a false mountain of our own voices. Have something out there before Savannah gobbles it all up. I... I wasn't good after the raid. I was in the workshop for three days, I think. Jules was concerned, to say the least. I really don't know how she does it. Keeping it all rainbows and sparkles day in and day out. (laughs) Well... I do, actually. She's not entirely up to speed on what Savannah's doing to us, but still. She kept her distance the first day, but there was a sandwich on the second, uh, technically, 
I'm pretty sure the Montgomery's have one of those new food creation things. The thought counted, I suppose. Sure he... Sure he tried. But after so many years of the two of us having to be there for each other, I... I just start to feel guilty. Guilty that I'm a burden. That I'm not able to do more for them. Guilty that stuff like this keeps happening. It just makes you want to curl up in a ball for a long time, you know? I had to come back, though. What, am I just going to not fight Savannah? It's kind of who I am at this point. Fuck. At this point, that is almost all I am now. The person who fights Savannah. Have they really done it? Made me so desperate to be able to carve out my own life that I actually forgot to live it. I devoted my life to stopping their advance, so I never checked my own? Fuck that. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to be human while I do this. Maybe that bundle of blonde positivity does have something right. I might be a rebel, but I'm going to be a happy rebel. <laughs> Maybe not quite that happy. If the smile gets too big, Savannah stops watching, because they know they don't have to. And I do not have the energy to keep that facade up for a long con. <sighs> Be happy to have the people around you, Dane. They're really the best you've got. Speaking of which, I should probably make sure Kay and Jules are both alright. We had a couple little... Let's call them explosions earlier. Uh, they were actually small, but one was also Jules, so, you know. It's good to be back. Well, we're back on schedule. Or as close to back on schedule as we can get. I pulled in some favors to get some more gold wiring, Kay fixed up a bunch of the stuff that got broken, and Dane has assured us that we've still got a launch window. Things... progress. They progress. I should probably sound happier about that, but I'm still pissed off! At a bunch of things, some of which shall remain off the record. I get why Jules wants us to record stuff, but I don't think every little thing needs to be included. We've been over this before. Though, I've got some stuff that I do want to say, and I've got a few minutes to say it. Hey there, kitty. Hey, you're getting braver. You want to listen to my rant? Hmm? We talk about Savannah a lot, and that's because... Well, they're a constantly looming presence in all of our lives. But I don't think we've talked about how they got started. And I think that's something we should include. 
on and for the record. It's an important part of history. Not that it's actually taught in school these days. The corporation likes to paint a rosier picture than what actually went down. Classic, right? Frankly, I'm not sure they tell the truth on anything. If we're sending a little time capsule into space, I want part of it to counter the official propaganda that Savannah is beaming out there. I feel it's my civic duty. Also, I just hate them. That's reason enough for me. Oh, you can't have this. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll get some cat food for you next time I'm out. Good enough? Great. And now, story time begins. Way back when, there was a company called Undatra. Founded by Nolan Lepe around 2100, it was a pretty standard startup. There were lots of them back then. This one didn't seem very important at the time. They hire a guy named Gout No Kerr some years in, which shouldn't be relevant, but keep that name in mind. Andatra starts to grow as a company. There's some funky shit going on, you know. The normal overworking of employees, somewhat nefarious lobbying practices, whatever. There's probably more nefarious shit, but that's all been buried. Typical. The company remains well-respected by the public, though, and they go from startup to big boy company. At some point, they fire Gout. Nobody really knows why. Probably stealing trade secrets or something. After being let go, Gout founded a company called Savannah. They start small, but pretty soon they're branching out into every form of industry. If you can think of it, they're there. From bookstores, to strip mining equipment, security systems, GPS locator tags, fitness equipment, grocery delivery to military contracts. Oh, and rocketry. Lots of rocketry. Soon, Savannah has taken over most of North America, acquiring company after company into what is functionally a monopoly. Once the company has established itself in every corner of everyone's life, Nolan Lepe dies. That's the Andatra guy, in case you've forgotten. The record has it that Lepe died from a natural illness. But let's be real, that's pretty fucking suspect. His company, Andatra, begins to falter, floundering without its founder and CEO. (gasps) Oh no, what will they do? But then... Gout to the rescue! Hooray! Savannah Space Science subsidiary acquires Ondatra. Ah, to have been there while those negotiations were taking place. I'm pretty sure Gout bought the company out of spite. Given the chance, I'd probably buy Savannah out of spite. If only I had a spare mm, 15 quadrillion or so lying around. But, back on topic. Ondatra is rebranded into Ondatra, an ocelot company. That's what Savannah calls their space science subsidiary. Ocelot. I know, lots of O's. 
Like a bad knockoff or something. Despite this whole acquisition thing, Hondatra is still mostly associated with Lepe. I think Gelt really hates this. Every time they do any kind of advertising for Ondatra, they always make sure to mention Ocelot or Savannah. Or both. Usually both. Oh, fun fact about Gout and Ondatra, I can't believe I almost forgot this. Part of the acquisition deal retroactively makes Gout the founder of Ondatra. Yeah. You heard me right. Gout is now listed as the founder of a company that hired and then fired him five years into their existence. All it takes to rewrite history is money, I guess. Corruption in capitalism knows no bounds. People suck, and we live in a corporate hellscape. Aw, you hate them too. Well, I guess you can stay. I could justify this whole rant with some sort of vague, take this as a warning in case you think capitalism is a good idea. But honestly, I'm just in the mood to talk about betrayals. I'm feeling bitter. This episode was written by Brad Colebrook, Chandler Harrison, Cole Burkhart, Dee Reese, and Tal Manier, with script editing by Evan Tess Murray. It was directed and sound designed by Brad Colebrook and features Vico Ortiz as Kay, Jonah Loon as Jules, Kathy Youssef as Armani, John Y. Kamara as Dane, and Sahar Iman as Shuri. The theme music is by Benny James, and the transcript is by Caroline Minks. What Will Be Here is primarily produced in Long Beach, on the stolen land of the Quiche Nation. Discovery Houston, recommend a vector transfer to the BFS. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.